Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton, and there is a lot to unpack in this last week or so just for the Marlins roster-wise. We've talked about the COVID-19 situation ad nauseum at this point, and while I do hope everybody's okay and that everybody is recovering, which seems to be the case, as Harold Ramirez said in an interview and a few other sources have come out and said that the Marlins are mostly asymptomatic and most of the players are doing well, which is great to hear, and hopefully they'll be back on the field soon. But in the meantime, the Marlins have a lot of piecing together to do. I'll talk about some of the transactions they've made. Isan Diaz opts out. Of course, respect his decision, and it's an understandable decision given the recent circumstances, and it's not something anybody would want to go through, and especially anybody on the Marlins would want to go through again, but that creates a little bit of a hole for the Marlins at second base. Fortunately, there's a pretty easy contingency plan. I'll get into that and how things will look in that regard, and Monte Harrison getting ready to finally make his Major League debut, as is Eddie Alvarez. Two different stories, but both very exciting. We'll get into that as well. So first, I'll talk about how the Marlins are going to piece together this bullpen, because while there haven't been names specifically released as to who tested positive for COVID-19, there is a pretty easy guess that it's mostly the bullpen or just pitchers in general. By the Marlins' decisions and transactions in the last week, it's pretty clear they are scrambling to find arms. While a few of the additions seem temporary, I'd say most of them do, there was a few pickups, including Richard Blyer, that seems like it could be a pickup for maybe the remainder of the season and beyond. Blyer, a 33-year-old left-handed pitcher who will definitely be a part of this team for the remainder of the season. I would expect him to remain on the ball club, assuming that he pitches well for the foreseeable future as the Marlins have not revealed or it's actually not been decided what the Marlins will give up for him, but it is a player to be named later, which is always a little bit scary. I wouldn't expect the Marlins to be giving up anything too important. I'll probably, we'll probably see a lower level guy traded for Blyer once that transaction is finalized and that player to be named later is named. But in terms of his contract, he is arbitration eligible in 2021, and he has the Marlins have control over Blyer until 2023. So it could be a cheap left-handed option out of the bullpen that the Marlins have actually reportedly been in on for a little bit now. This isn't just a part of this scramble for the Marlins. They had been looking at Blyer for a bit. He's a local kid from South Plantation High School, went to Florida Gulf Coast, then was a sixth-round pick by the Texas Rangers, and that was back in 2008. Blyer is not flashy, really just sits in the low 90s with a heavy sinker, and his game is really just getting ground balls and at a ridiculous rate for a southpaw and just for a pitcher in general a ground ball rate at around 60 percent in the last two seasons and he was off to a good start this year a couple of scoreless outings the 60 percent ground ball rate for the marlins in the last three years would be better than anybody not named brad ziegler and that really makes sense for the Marlins to have somebody that can induce some ground balls, eat up innings as a long reliever, and it 
only could bode well for the Marlins in a pitcher's park, no matter how you twist it, even though the Marlins have brought in the walls now twice, it's still a pitcher's park, and Blyer, a ground ball pitcher, should see some more success, and I'm sure that factored into the Marlins' interest in Blyer on top of the fact that he is a lefty and a local kid. So that makes sense. Perfect for the Marlins to be able to acquire somebody with control beyond this year for what we expect to be a low-cost acquisition and helps them now, could help them in the future, especially with Adam Conley struggling as of late. So a little bit on his arsenal before I move on to the two other guys that the Marlins added. A four-pitch mix for Blyer that mostly leans on the sinker and the slider. The sinker he throws at about 36% of the time, the slider 33% of the time, and then a cutter that blends in with it that is thrown about a quarter of the time, a changeup that he throws very rarely and usually to right-handed hitters just 5% of the time. His calling card, as I said, is the ground balls that he's able to induce and also the ability to induce weak contact. He was among the best in the league in 2017 and 2019 in barrel percentage, meaning that he was only barreled up about 3% of the time, which would put him in the top 3% of the league in 2019. The numbers in 2019 aren't as good as pretty much any other season he's had, but he was banged up in 2019 and was coming in and out with injuries. Also, just some bad luck. The FIP points to that with the 4.18 FIP. Orioles were also one of the worst, if not the worst, defensive team in all of baseball. And with the Marlins having a pretty solid defensive infield and outfield now with the call-up of Monte Harrison and return of Lewis Brinson, you got to figure that Richard Blyer's numbers will only improve. So you factor in, you know, each pitcher and any pitcher is going to be impacted by the stadium they pitch in, but some pitchers are impacted more and it tends to be the guys who like to pitch to contact and induce ground balls. For Blyer, now he has a better defensive infield, better defense all around, and a bigger ballpark to pitch in, though the Marlins are going to be on the road for the foreseeable future. The interesting thing is that the Marlins turn around and play the Orioles this week, starting tomorrow, and Blyer will be on the other side now in a Marlins uniform, so if he makes his debut in the series, it'll be in a stadium that he's used to pitching in, and we'll see if he can continue the good start that he's had so far with the couple outings of scoreless ball. As for two other notable acquisitions by the Marlins, they went and got James Hoyt, who came over from the Indians for cash considerations. Hoyt could be a piece that the Marlins keep even when all of the arms start to return from the COVID-19 injured list, but I'm interested to see as to whether that will take innings away from Adam Connolly, Stephen Tarpley, some other players. It might be a type of spring training audition as we wait to see who comes back. Also, there is always the chance that Adam Connolly is unfortunately one of the players that has been infected with COVID-19 and has to sit out. That wouldn't be too crazy of an assumption. Don't want to speculate, but just because of the nature of the Marlins acquisitions with so many left-handed pitchers, it does leave you wondering, and we'll have to see who is available and who isn't when the game is played tomorrow. 
what will be known is that the fact that the Marlins regardless will have some left-handed pitchers available. And I would assume that Blyer is the first that the Marlins will go to out of all of the acquisitions they've made. Brian Moran might sound familiar. He used to play for the Marlins. They bring him back too. We'll see how Moran does. He was solid in his limited action with the Marlins. See if he can continue to do so. And that will sure up the Marlins bullpen in regards to lefties as they bring in three. And what feels like an eternity ago, the Marlins had also acquired a pair of right-handed relievers in Justin Schaefer and Mike Morin. Schaefer, a little bit more interesting to me and could potentially be a bullpen option beyond this just piecing together time as he was pretty good in 2019. 2-1, 3.86 ERA in 34 appearances, 39 innings. He did walk 25, but punched out 39. The FIP, not kind to him, 5.18 FIP and a high whip as well. FIP and whip, both not very generous at a 1.6 whip too. So you could see why Toronto might not be too trustworthy and Justin Schaefer stuff when they let him go to Cincinnati then Cincinnati let him go and the Marlins claim both of those right-handers away from Cincinnati both Mike Morin and Justin Schaefer seem like temporary guys but we'll see maybe they can impress they will most definitely be able to hold their own in the meantime and better than calling up some young lower level guys that might be on the 60-man roster you can understand the Marlins decision here just hope that they can hold the team together in the meantime and that the other Marlins who are trying to come back from COVID-19 are able to overcome it first and foremost for their personal health and of course to get the Marlins going to on the momentum that they were able to build in that first series against the Phillies. I'll be talking about now the offensive side of things, what the Marlins will need to do in the infield, what we might be looking at and for the next week or so how this team will adjust offensively. While it is more of an issue pitching-wise in terms of players that are out due to COVID-19, the Marlins do have some decisions to make offensively as well. As someone who is always hungry, but also always struggles to figure out what he wants to eat, Postmates is a huge help for me, and especially in a time like this where I don't really like to leave my home much anyways. That was before COVID-19, but now with everything going on, I try to limit any exposure, especially in Florida right now as well. If you have some of those same issues, Postmates will be a great option for you because you don't have to leave your home. So many restaurants to choose from in your area. You just punch it in. You can do anything from burger, sushi, to Walgreens and 7-Eleven groceries that you might need and they'll drop it off outside your door. You don't even have to have any contact with them. And even better, you get a deal through Locked On. It's for a limited time. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use promo code Locked On. That's one word. Locked on for $100 of free delivery credit in your first seven days. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Post made it. So now for the more interesting side of things, the Marlins lineup. While it's not as chaotic as the bullpen trying to piece that together, the Marlins lineup is going to have some adjustments as well. And second base is not one of the more deep positions for this organization. And with Isan Diaz opting out, 
the Marlins have some decisions to make and some shuffling to do. Fortunately, they have several versatile players that can play multiple positions, such as Jonathan VR. But remember, one of the players that has been named as being out on the COVID IL list or whatever you'd like to call it is Miguel Rojas, which is which of course is a huge blow not only to the clubhouse but to the lineup with how well he was hitting early on in that series against the Phillies, virtually leading Major League Baseball in every category through the first three games. Now the Marlins have some shuffling to do. They called up Monte Harrison. I don't know if it's official yet, but the report is that he will be ready to go in this next series. Eddie Alvarez gets the call up as well, which is a really exciting story that I'll get into also. But for now, how are the Marlins going to piece this together? They don't have a second baseman really that purely plays second base and now their shortstops out. So the middle infield is a gigantic hole. If we're assuming that Brian Anderson's available and the Marlins will have somebody that they can put at first base, that's not a huge concern, though Garrett Cooper is definitely on the COVID IL list as well. We can hope that Jesus Aguilar is available there. Maybe the Marlins even have to call up Lewin Diaz. That's not a stretch. Personally, I don't think it is. I think he's ready as well. Or the Marlins can figure somebody out to play first base. That's not as much of a concern. Monte Harrison should man the outfield. Lewis Brinson is now activated, as is Matt Joyce. So that helps the Marlins. They do return two players in this time off. As for Alvarez, he is an infielder that is incredibly versatile. He can play shortstop, second base, or third. So that is huge for the Marlins. And while you always are hoping to have that type of utility player that can stick on your roster, in a situation like this, Eddie Alvarez just became way more valuable than the Marlins probably ever anticipated. He put up some crazy numbers last year, and this is an Olympic speed skater who declined a scholarship to St. Thomas University down in South Florida, another local kid from Miami, to pursue his Olympic dreams. Unfortunately for Alvarez, he missed some time in the trials for the Olympics in 2010 due to a stomach virus and placed seventh, just missing the team. So it seemed like he missed out on both opportunities, but decides to give baseball one more shot. And he walks on at Salt Lake Community College and just puts up big numbers. He just continues to mash and ultimately in 2014, signs a contract with the Chicago White Sox. Fast forward now, he's with the Marlins and put up great numbers in AAA. He hit in 66 games last year, 323, 978 OPS, 12 home runs, drove in 43, also stole 12 bags. While he is 29 years old, keep in mind this man was an Olympic trial speed skater. He just missed the cut for the Olympics, but just a fast guy, very athletic. No doubt he can play multiple positions. So back to the Marlins side of things with the roster, he will probably be able to play second base, third base if needed, but Brian Anderson is presumably available. So he will probably man second with Jonathan VR manning short. Not sure who the Marlins are more comfortable with in the middle infield. I'm assuming that it'll be VR at short just with his experience there. Though Alvarez could make a push because VR does not boast anything special with his glove. That being said, he can hold it down at shortstop. That's probably his most comfortable position outside of second base. So I expect Alvarez and VR to man the middle of the infield. 
which is not too bad given the circumstances. You'd love to have Miguel Rojas available, but the fact that a guy like Alvarez gets an opportunity in this type of situation is a great silver lining with everything that's happened. He reportedly drove all the way to his parents' house and yelled from the front door that he had been called up. So you just can't help but root for Alvarez. Monte Harrison now finally gets to make his Major League debut. We were seeing plenty of fans really eager to see Monte Harrison make his debut. Now he gets a chance, and he's going to need to kind of add a jolt to this lineup, and he might just be the guy that can do it. We'll see where the Marlins decide to put him into the lineup. I can't even begin to speculate where what the lineup will look like because we don't know who is available and who is not yet. But the Marlins do get some offensive help with Matt Joyce, especially against right-handers. Don't expect Joyce to hit much at all against southpaws. He probably shouldn't unless the Marlins absolutely have to wheel him out there. I would rather have Lewis Brinson even against left-handers with everything going on. Brinson also back. I don't know if he has been able to get live at-bats here and there or what the deal is with him, but nonetheless great to have him back another body and somebody that I'm very eager to see what he can do I did come out and say in spring training that he did look different I did like some of the adjustments that he made I know we always call him Mr. Spring Training but something looked different with his approach I very much want to see if he can build on that and I hope the time off did not stifle his confidence because he was rolling let's hope that the Marlins can find something here in Brinson and there could be some silver linings out of this crazy situation but let's get excited. This is an exciting time because Monte Harrison's making his debut. Lewis Brinson's back. Marlins baseball will be back now tomorrow. And there's still going to be plenty of players that you are excited to see play. And hopefully some of the other guys will be back soon. And this group can hold down the fort. It is very lucky and fortunate that the Marlins do have a three-game set against the Orioles that will buy them some more time to return some guys because the Marlins should be able to handle them in the meantime, especially offensively with what they have to offer. I do expect some crazy slugfests with the Marlins limited pitching and the Orioles naturally limited pitching as is, but it should be a fun series to watch regardless. Let's hope for the best and I will be continuing to have live coverage of everything going on on Twitter at RMWayton8 and at LockedOnMarlins with the latest, whether it is Marlins transactions or just my take on things. But it should be a crazy time moving forward. At least we have Marlins baseball. Let's hope it stays and let's hope MLB as a whole is able to get a handle on the situation across the entire league and sure up those protocols. As always, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for tomorrow's episode and recaps of all of the games this week should be some fun games to recap and a lot of information and analysis to be had.